Hey, if you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Matthew chapter 23, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 23. We're in a a series right now called Good Riddance to Bad Religion. We're looking at these strong, powerful warnings of Jesus that he makes to the religious leaders of his day. These guys have distorted what life with God is supposed to look like. Jesus has something to say about it. They're known as the woes. And that woe is kind of a warning of coming sadness. Not just Jesus saying like, you're awful people, but it's, it's a warning of sadness. And so Jesus is talking about these religious leaders, the hypocrisy within the Pharisees. And of course, what we're trying to do is let him speak to us. You know, we want to know what Jesus has to say to us in these woes. And we've, I don't think we've ever needed to hear these words more than now. We've heard three of these woes so far. Next week, we're going to finish the series. So that's five. We're going to get to five out of the seven. But uh, we really feel like this is the what the Holy Spirit wanted us to glean from this passage this time. Um, We're in verse 23. You could turn there. Uh, Let's start and hear what Jesus has to say to us today. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! Again, Jesus being nice and easygoing. He's building rapport with his audience. You know, that's important when you're talking to powerful people. Um, You hypocrites, give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. Okay, number one, I'm going to set your mind at ease. This is not a sermon on tithing. I'm not talking about tithing. I'm not talking about why you should tithe, if you should tithe. I'm not even talking about that. Paying your tithes, it's it's not. Uh, So if you're like, I know what this is about, I bet you don't. I bet you may not. Um, But I do want to look at this and I want to ask, why on earth is Jesus talking about this? And why does he start out with this sort of rant about mint and dill and cumin? Uh, which, by the way, is the beginning ingredients for a delicious Greek tzatziki sauce. Um, so it sounds great. I, I would love um, So we're going to see what Jesus is up to here. Hold your place in Matthew and flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 14. That's in the very beginning of the Bible, Deuteronomy. I'm sure you all woke up this morning thinking about Deuteronomy. Maybe you probably opened your Bible and read Deuteronomy. You know, what are the, you know, what, what are the laws that I need to follow here? You know, the, I need to, you know, make sure you, you don't uh, touch, uh, mix your dairy and your meat, or make sure you don't touch shellfish, or that the uh, threads in your clothes don't mix up. Nobody? Nobody did that? Okay. Well, there was a day when people woke up thinking about Deuteronomy, um, things like this, and what these laws were, because in the Old Testament, there were all sorts of these wide-ranging laws that the people of God were supposed to follow. Verse 22 in Deuteronomy 14 is one of the central principles uh, that people were to live by, and it says this, be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine, and olive oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. So he's referring here to the temple area to come. So that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. To revere. Revere is this Hebrew word, yare, and it it means to, to have awe and reverence for, so that you're going to learn to have awe and reverence for God. So take a tenth of your crops from your field, your grain, your vineyards, your olive oil, plus he says a tenth of your, your livestock, your newborn little lambs and cows, and eat that in the temple area, in the presence of God, as an act of worship. It's like the, the very first church potluck dinner right here. We bring the tenth and we, we all eat it together. 
And the purpose of this, he says, was that so the people would learn to revere God and to, to recognize God as the giver of all of our good blessings. God is always working on our hearts. He's always forming us into something. And he wants us to remember, he wanted his people to remember that everything good, everything life-giving that we have ultimately comes from God. Uh, that all of life is a gift. It's a gift. Even the food that keeps me and my family, uh, you know, alive is a gift from God. And so we take some of that olive oil we produce, uh, the grain, the wine, the animals. Now, does the text here say anything in Deuteronomy about spices? No. It didn't say anything about spices. But skip ahead a thousand or so years, and the Pharisees by that time uh, had become so unbelievably passionate about obeying every last detail and even going further to make sure that they obey all the details uh, that they took this to mean, this principle to mean, a tenth of anything you grow, anything you grow, including your spices. In fact, just to be safe, the Pharisees by this time, at the time of Jesus, they had come up with three different tithes that you should do. So it would total about 23% of your income. We think of the tithe as the tenth. But by this time, people were paying up to 23% in tithe. And, and we talked about before, different schools within the Pharisees had different ideas. They would argue about what you should tithe and what not to. Some Pharisees argued that you should tithe on your dill and your cumin but you didn't have to tithe on your mint. Um, there was one, remember the Shamite school? We've talked about them before. They said you have to tithe on it all except for uh, black cumin. Black cumin, you didn't have to pay your tithes on. So it was very specific. That's not such a common uh, herb for us today, but it's still uh, big in uh, Indian food. Now, as you know, cumin seeds are not very big. They're pretty, they're pretty small. And your cumin harvest is actually very small. You could probably fit your whole cumin harvest in your, the palm of your hand. It wasn't like you got a bale of cumin. And so the Pharisees could be seen actually holding their cumin and picking out a tenth of their seed. They would count out the grains. This would be a common thing. And sometimes they would do it publicly, you know, so everybody would see them do it. They would count out the tenth, one, two, three, four... Okay, yeah, yep. And they would get the tenth of their grains and make sure they tithe that. And so God, uh, Jesus says, guys, your, your passion, that kind of borders on obsession here with fidelity to the law, to, you know, you're obeying the minutia of, of down to the grain. It's, it's really something. But what's interesting here is when you read this, it's not actually the fixation to detail that bothers Jesus. Notice what he says next. He says, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. The more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So I want to take a few minutes and just unpack these three words for a minute, because this is important. This is Jesus talking, just a reminder. This is Jesus. It's not like some obscure passage buried in the, you know, bowels of Leviticus or something like here. This is Jesus. We really want to pay attention to what Jesus says. Justice, mercy. Okay, let's look, let's look at this first one, justice. Justice is the Greek word krisis uh, in, in the original language there. It means administering what is right, what is fair, what is good. Um, in the Hebrew word, in the Hebrew, the word they would use was shafat. 
And uh, Shaphat would be the word that would be translated into Croesus when the Hebrew in the Old Testament was translated into the, the Greek. Um, so Shaphat is this ancient, deep, heavy, weighty word. And we're going to look at a, a few other places justice is mentioned because just, uh, Jesus says that justice, this justice business is actually more important than counting out our grains of our spices. So here's some of the places we see mentioned. In Proverbs 18, it said, it is not good to be partial to the wicked. The wicked here means a heart that is bent away from God or turned away from God. It's not good to be partial to the wicked. So deprive the innocent of justice. In Ecclesiastes 5, it says, if you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied. So we see here justice in the time of the scripture is um, intertwined with rights. Uh, injustice, we could say basically, is, is a denial of rights. A denial of rights. We would think, it a, think of it as these things that everybody would sort of agree, well, yeah, everybody, of course, all human beings deserve blank, you know, whatever that is. And so that would be an issue of justice. Uh, justice today is kind of strange because, you know, we believe in justice. Our court system is based on justice. But in our culture, it's also been kind of, it's a bit of a loaded word, isn't it, right? And in fact, in some circles, justice is even, can kind of be like a pejorative um, to call someone like an activist for justice, you know, a justice activist or something. But in the scriptures, we, we see real, real quick what God thinks about it. Over in Malachi, we see this. The prophet, uh, in chapter 2, it ends with this question, uh, where's the God of justice? And in, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 5, he says, so I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers. That's, that would be somebody who basically seeks guidance outside of God. Adulterers, someone who's been unfaithful. Perjurers, someone who doesn't tell the truth. Uh, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, uh, not getting a fair wage here, who oppress the widows and the fatherless. We would say orphans and single moms, right? Um, and deprive the foreigners among you, immigrants, of justice. God says, I'm testifying against those who do, who, who do these things, but do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. So, yikes, we have, we have a real uh, sort of whole map of targets of injustice here. We have laborers, the fatherless or husbandless, um, immigrants in the land, right? Wow. It's a good thing these things have nothing to do with us today, right? None of these issues are, are, affect us today. Immigration, uh, single parents, fair wages. Don't you just wish the Bible was just more applicable, you know, to what we're our modern times? Um, so Jesus says that you have neglected justice, you, you religious hypocrites. And here's the sort of thing that he would be talking about when he mentions this word when he uses this term with his uh, fellow Jewish citizens. The next word he uses is mercy. You've neglected justice and mercy. Mercy is this Greek word, elias, and it is a compassion or a pity, um, but it's active. It's a compassion or pity that is active. So it isn't just, oh, that, that poor person there. Yeah, that's a shame. But it's, uh, it's how do I act? How can I act on behalf of? To, to relieve their pain? What can I do for them? What can I do on behalf of their good? So it's goodwill towards uh, those who are in a, a miserable state, but it's joined with a desire to help them, to do something about it. 
So mercy is used several times by Jesus in the New Testament. We'll look at a couple here. In Matthew chapter 6, if you flip back a page or two, Jesus uses the same phrase that you have neglected. And then he says, uh, be careful not to do your elios, the acts of righteousness, in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you do your elios here, give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets. Um, so, you know, perhaps the best definition of, of mercy here is the one Jesus supplies here, where he says, when you give to those who need it, when you give to those who need it. Over in the book of Acts, this is the birth of the early church. Um, we read, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at three o'clock in the afternoon, and a man, lame from birth, was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the beautiful gate so that he could ask for alms is the word in this translation from those entering the temple. Uh, it is the Greek word elios here. So uh, it's translated here alms or gifts of charity, depending on what you're reading. Um, so sometimes elios, mercy, is uh, associated with begging or actively seeking out mercy, elios, the compassion and the pity of other people, seeking it out. And Jesus says, woe to you Pharisees. You're all about tithing your little grains and your spices, but in the process, you have neglected the more important matters of mercy, ju uh, justice. And then he says, and faithfulness. Faithfulness is this Greek word pistis. It's actually the same word we translate in some passages as faith. Um, it means fidelity, true-heartedness that uh, refers to a relationship that's built on trust. And the people Jesus is talking to, these are the calling of God on these people uh, that he's talking to was to be a kingdom of priests. He wanted them to be a whole kingdom of priests, to be the people of God in the world, to be his hands and his feet, his image bearers, his, his image to mankind and to, to reveal. He's telling them, you were called to reveal to the world what God is like and you have failed to show the world accurately what God is like. So Jesus holds up these two dimensions, we, we could say, of these two facets of life lived uh, as a Christ follower, you know, life, life lived in the presence of God, what it looks like, what our spirituality is supposed to look like. There's two sides to this. Uh, one is the tenth of the spices. Now, we could think of that as all those things that represent kind of like your private morality, your private morality. Um, that's your personal walk with God, your personal convictions that you have. Every, all of us have convictions and all of the hundreds of ways every day that you discipline yourself or you guard yourself, you guard your actions out of a sense of morality or rightness, integrity. Um, and then Jesus says, there are these other matters, these other matters, the innocent being deprived of their rights, laborers being uh, cheated and taken advantage of, justice being denied to those who are less privileged, orphans being neglected. And we might think, we could kind of call these, these are matters, these matters are like our public mission. Uh, or you might think of it as your communal calling. Uh, you have your private morality and then your communal calling or public mission. 
This is how you, as a, as a representative of the kingdom of God, which we talk a lot, a lot about here at Generations, we, how you should relate to other people, not just in the privacy of your home, in your prayer closet, but how do you relate to other people? How do you represent God well to the world? How do you bless the world, a world that is desperate to know God, that is desperate to know what God is really like? And Jesus goes on to say something really interesting. He says, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Now, just be honest. Does anybody like me, when someone says latter and former, you have to like step out of the conversation for a second and remember which one is which? Which one comes first? The former? The former. Wait, latter. Latter sounds like later, so that's the second one. Okay, I got it. And by then, the conversation's passed you by. All right, that's just me. Non sequitur. Uh, you should have practiced the latter. That's that public mission, justice, mercy, faithfulness, without neglecting the former, your private morality. So what's he saying? He's saying you should do both. You should do both. Your own obedience to God, your own individual morality, that's important. Private rule keeping, your convictions that you hold, you should do those things. But you should not neglect justice, mercy, faithfulness. So I, I would argue if we put this into language that we could, everyday language we could understand, what he's essentially saying is this, how you spend your money matters. The, the websites that you go to matters. The drugs that you take matters. Who you're sleeping with matters. The language you use matters. The gossip you spread matters. Giving your tithes and your offerings matter. The kind of thoughts and attitudes that you, you allow in your head, that matters. That matters. Forgiving other people, lying, cheating, stealing, all these things matter. Your individual purity and morality, uh, devotion to God, your prayer life, it matters. It's deeply important. Your integrity, your integrity is how you act when nobody's looking. That deeply matters to God. You should practice these things. You should be vigilant about what your eyeballs look at, what your ears hear. It matters. What your tongue is speaking, what you put into your body, it matters. How you spend your free time matters. All of life is a gift. All of life is a gift. These things matter, but what is the phrase that Jesus uses? Not me, but Jesus. What does he use in regards to personal morality versus justice, mercy, and faithfulness? The phrase he uses is these are more important matters that we have neglected. These are the more important matters. Uh, if you remember, just like in week one of this series, when we're talking about the cup, the inside and the outside of the cup, Jesus is calling us to live the undivided life, to not have two parts of our life that we treat differently, but to live an undivided life, an integrated life, not focusing just on being privately moral while neglecting the very reason that God has planted you in the world to begin with. So, which I might summarize is just this. The world is suffering and God wants his people to do something about it. He wants us to do something about it, right? 
And Jesus' critique is towards the religious people who get so obsessed with their personal walk with God, their purity of which team they identify with, that in the process we have actually missed the big picture of what God wants us to do in the world, right? He says, woe to you Pharisees, you have missed the point. Man, don't you just wish his teachings had more relevance to us today. (laughs) So he says all of this, and then Jesus adds one other thing that is so awesome. It's such a little curveball here. We're going to take a minute to unpack it. He says, you blind guides... You blind, in other words, you're the people who are supposed to be showing people the way. You're supposed to be leading the way here. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Like in the teaching hall of fame of obscure references, this wins. This is so great. Now, it turns out this is Jesus being completely brilliant on a couple of different levels. Uh, and I just want to look at some of these because it's so good. It's so good. First off, Jesus is showing his, um, his, his actually a sense of humor. It's kind of a rhetorical flourish here. In the Aramaic that he would be actually speaking, they're on the, they're on the ground with the people who speak in Aramaic. The word gnat is the word galma. The word for camel is gamla. Okay. So, see, we missed that because we're just, you know, dumb old English speakers. But here we go. It's this lyrical, funny, basically, it's like, you know, you struggle on a gamla, but you swallow a gamla, you know. And, and he's like, he's basically owning these guys hip-hop style. And the crowd would have gone wild. It would have been hilarious for everybody except for the Pharisees, of course. Yeah. Yeah, it's so good. Strain on a gamla, but you swallow a gamla. Um, now, there's something else going on here that requires us to know a little bit of Uh, cultural context that's easily lost on us today. And that's what I'm here for. Um, So remember, the the Pharisees are are unbelievably careful about performing all the right religious rites and the rituals uh, associated with eating and drinking. We saw that with the cup thing. And one of the things that we might find odd about Pharisees is that they would freak out. Why they would freak out about a bug being in their drink. Now, we would go like, gross, you know, or might like get it out of the cup. But they would truly, it'd be like the worst part of their day. Why? Well, let's look back in Leviticus. Back in Leviticus. Uh, These are the books of the law. And back in Leviticus, there's a, a law that says, all flying insects that walk on all fours are to be regarded as unclean by you. But all, and later in 23, he says, all other flying insects that have four legs, you are also to regard as unclean, i.e. gnats. Okay, so we know the Pharisees live by, you know, the dietary laws called kosher laws, very strict dietary laws. Now, why were these laws so important? Because fundamental to your worldview, if, if you're a, a good Torah observant Jewish Pharisee in the first century, fundamental to your worldview is that you, among all the peoples of the earth, are God's chosen people. You are very special. You are God's chosen people. But the reason that history has not been very kind to you in the form of being conquered and oppressed by just about everybody, the Egyptians, followed by the Assyrians, followed by the Babylonians, followed by the Greeks, and now by the Romans who live in in your own land, this Roman Empire, the global military superpower you're being oppressed by, the reason why you live in this living hell of oppression in your own land, this ache of why has everything gone wrong for us, Central to the worldview of the Pharisees is, well, well, I can tell you why this has happened to us, why we're under oppression and occupation. 
It's because of sinners. Sinners. God is judging us because we haven't been pure and upright. And so the problem is all these sinners and these, you know, prostitutes and tax collectors and unclean people. So for a Pharisee, their, their, their drive is, is what was to be called ritually clean. They want to be ritually clean. They're saying we want to show God that there are some of us left who are not like them. We are different. Some of us left who still believe in following the religious laws. We understand how we got in this national mess right, that we're in. And if people would just be more righteous and pure and holy like us, then God will deliver us. That was their raison d'etre. That's, that's why they're, they're there. And so if a Pharisee gets a gnat in his drink, it's more than just, ah, oh, gross. No, all the wine has to be poured out. True story. So you don't want a gnat in your drink because if you're a Pharisee and you want to be ritually clean because for them the gnat was about their standing with God. It was about their holiness, their identity. So when you went to eat with Pharisees uh, and they gave you your little goblet, there was this very complicated system of strainers over all of the cups, uh, all the tops of the wine and all that kind of stuff um, because they didn't want any gnats to fall in the cup. It was very important. So when it was time to drink, strainer comes off right? You drink, back down, strainer goes back on. Um, hey, I'm thirsty again. Strainer goes off, take a drink, strainer goes back on, everything has to, and imagine sitting at a table full of Pharisees, which we're told in Luke's gospel, his version of the same story, it shows us that's the setting of this, is they're sitting around at dinner that Jesus is eating with these Pharisees. So imagine sitting here, and you're eating at a table with a bunch of Pharisees, and Jesus is watching and observing this, this like complicated ballet of ritual happening in front of him, just so everybody could take a drink, and all the trouble these guys are going through, because they don't want to get a gnat in their drink to make it ritually unclean. So Jesus says, guys, while, while trying to make sure that no little, you know, no, no little galmas get in your drink, you guys have swallowed an entire gamla. And aside from the funny play on words, that would have been, he chooses the camel for another reason too. We can see over in Leviticus, it says in Leviticus, there are some that only chew the cud or only have a divided hoof, but you must not eat them. The camel, though it chews the cud, does not have a divided hoof and is ceremonially unclean for you. So camels are on the no eat list too. Cannot eat a camel. Right. Uh, we don't mind that so much. I got to say, if you have to choose between accidentally swallowing a gnat or taking a big hairy bite of stinky slobbering camel, I'll take the gnat. Um, <laughs> But we have to understand what Jesus is saying here to the Pharisees is just, this is a crushing indictment to them. This is, it, you almost feel sorry for them, what he's saying to them. It would be kind of like if he came to us and said, you're, while you're, you're trying to uh, dress modestly, you know, with your skirt below your knee, you're sleeping with prostitutes or something like that. It would be like that much of a, what? I've been trying so hard, right? Because um, to them, everything is about being right with God. It's the driving reason for being for a Pharisee. And Jesus says, you're so consumed with this desire for personal holiness and purity in the process. You've neglected the bigger issues of suffering of the world. The more important matters. And it's why God commissions us to live in this world to begin with, rather than just him coming down and fixing everything himself. Have you ever just thought like, God, what are you waiting for? Jesus, come on. You know, why do I got to be here? Why don't I just go to heaven? 
because he has a reason for us to be here. Jesus says, uh, you know, we're not just supposed to be down here sitting and contentedly waiting, waiting for him to fix things. Jesus says, you're, you're, you're sitting there swallowing a camel. You know, in our vernacular, we would say we're ignoring the elephant in the room, the elephant in the room. So what does all this mean for us? How do we make this practical? I want to talk about two quick concepts before we go. First concept I want to talk about is holiness. Holiness. Number one, we got to rediscover holiness. Now, what do I mean when I say that? When I say the word holiness, what do you think of? We pro- you probably have a whole layer of things that are probably going on in your head when you hear the word holy or holiness. Rediscover holiness, right? If you're like most people, uh, when I say that word, it probably makes you think to, it means like staying pure. Stay pure. Don't sin. Don't do bad stuff, right? Stay holy. But in scripture, when we talk about holiness, the word has a, a little bit different meaning. It literally means to be set apart for a purpose, to be set apart for a special purpose. That's holy. And so a holy temple, you know, they had a holy temple. Well, that wasn't a building that didn't sin. That was a building that was set apart for a purpose. It was set apart for a special purpose that only that thing could do, to perform a special function, right? A holy sacrifice wasn't an animal that didn't sin. It was an animal that had been set apart, singled out for a special purpose. And you and I, called to be holy, isn't just acting pure and untouched by the unclean world. It's not, it's, not just, it's not just avoiding doing anything naughty. It is embracing our role of being made holy. You notice in the New Testament, or is it over in Colossians 1, it talks that we have been made holy by God. So it's not something that you achieve by getting through the day without doing anything wrong. Holiness isn't something you achieve. It's something you were made. We are made holy. Why? Because you and I have been singled out by God for a special purpose. You. If you're a follower of Christ, you have been singled out, set apart by God for a special purpose. Not the paid professional holy man. You have been singled out and set apart by God for a special purpose in the world. We might call this other version of holiness where we think of holiness as just like not doing bad stuff. That's kind of like cosmetic holiness. Cosmetic holiness. It looks really good. It's like lipstick and deodorant, right? But you've heard the phrase, you can put lipstick on a pig, right? It doesn't, it doesn't make the pig any prettier. You can put deodorant on a corpse. It doesn't bring it alive, right? So that's not what it means to be set apart for a purpose, and it's fine, it's good to be disciplined in our lifestyle, to have integrity, to not commit sins. But if we see that as our end-all purpose, if that is what we see as mission accomplished today um, in the earth, what we, uh, we've tragically and, and radically missed the point of why we're here to begin with. We've missed the point of why we're here to begin with. And we're probably, probably doing very little uh, good to bring outsiders into a knowledge of the love of Jesus, into the grace of Christ, and the good news of the kingdom. Um, I was thinking about this phrase this week. 
They will know us by our, finish it, by our love. They will know us by our love. There's a subtle shift that we can make that sounds really good, but I realize that I'm guilty of it too, and I need to ask the Lord daily to, to veer me away from this subtle shift, and that is to remember that scripture wrongly and say they will know us by our stand. They will know us by our stand. You can live your life by that maxim. That sounds really good. It's not the scriptures, though. But they will know us by our love. Which brings me to the next one. Number two, we've got we to rediscover holiness. Number two, resist me and God spirituality. Me and God spirituality. What do we mean by that? Sometimes you'll hear somebody say, um, it's all about me and God. It's all about me and God. Sometimes you'll hear Christians uh, spiritually uh, as defined, you know, when it all comes down to it, all that matters is that me and God are good, right? How's your spiritual life going? Well, man, I had a good prayer time this morning. Ah, it was so good. I was in his presence. I just soaking in him. It was so good, <laughs> right? I had some worship time. Ah, in my bedroom. Oh, so wonderful. I just felt him all over me. I, I read the Bible today. Ah, it just came alive to me. Mm. That's good. That's, 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 that's great. It sounds great. Problem is, problem is, it's not what Jesus teaches. And I'm super, like, I know, Jesus fixated, right? People have told me that. But it's not what Jesus teaches. The obsession with the Pharisees, which starts as this very good, righteous, beautiful impulse, which is a desire to be in right standing with God. They want to be in right standing with God. Bless their heart. They, they do. But it's become so far out of whack, out of balance, it has led them to miss the larger issues of justice, mercy, faithfulness, right? And so, which God never stops talking about. God never stops talking about justice, mercy, and faithfulness, which Jesus never stops talking about justice, mercy, and faithfulness, which the first Christians in the early church never stop talking about justice, mercy, faithfulness. They never do it. So be very, very careful when, when somebody takes their relationship with God and essentially says, all that matters is me and my personal Jesus, that we're good. That's all that matters, right? Poverty, racism, abortion, refugees, homelessness, those are worldly problems, right? All that matters is how sparkling and alive my, my spiritual life is, right? Thousands may fall at my side, 10,000 at my right hand. It's not going to come nigh me. I'm all good. Because Jesus didn't teach that. He didn't teach it. God isn't just interested now, he loves us. He loves me. He loves you. He's not just interested in helping me live my best life now before I die. His, his sights are set a little higher than that, it turns out. He, he has bigger goals for me than just that. God isn't just interested in helping me work through my personal stuff. Though he loves me, God isn't just interested in my own private morality so that I can, you know, take a lot of pride in that right? God wants us to do something about the tremendous suffering happening around us. Amen. We're his hands and feet. He says it over and over. He can't say it enough. We're his hands and feet in the world. We're ambassadors of the kingdom. He wants us to do something. We're blessed to be a blessing. Anybody with me? Amen? 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 I mean, I'm not telling you anything you didn't know, I'm sure. This is, this is a good church. 
But I'm just reminding you this, encouraging us. And spiritually for Jesus is measured, spirituality for Jesus is measured in you have received the gift of grace from God. You have received forgiveness through this gift who is Jesus. You have received. Now go, give, give. Convert all that blessing into blessing other people. Take this beautiful gift of, of new life given to you and spread it around. Show people what it looks like when his kingdom comes and his will is done on this earth as it is in heaven. Show people what that looks like when his will is done, when his kingdom comes. Be the voice, be the instrument of justice, his mercy, faithfulness. What Jesus calls the more important matters. He calls it that, so maybe we should too. Right? All right. We take this very seriously here at Generations. Um, our staff and our leadership here at the church in working through the big questions of, you know, who we are, why we're here. We talk about this stuff. It's why our vision is not just to come here on Sundays and bunch of, you know, dump a bunch of spiritual doctrine on you, uh, you know, and make you into like spiritual geniuses. That's not our, our goal. It's not just to pack you with knowledge, um, but it's to turn us all into agents of change. That's what we want to be, into a force in our community to save souls and to fill bellies. Amen? Amen. Uh, to stand up for those who are oppressed. To be a force in our community. Uh, to, it's why we spend a ridiculous amount of our budget for a church this size on missions. Uh, you know, every, every year on building churches and in feeding orphans and widows. Both of those things are important because Jesus says you shouldn't do one without and neglect the other right? And so that's why we, we teach you principles of faith and supernatural living and teach you how to share the good news of the kingdom to others so they can see what God is really like, that he loves them and that he cares for them. And look, it's not just about what your, the church organization does, what your church does with its annual budget. It's what you do. What do you do Monday through Saturday? What do you do with your time and your money? It all matters. It's not just with your finances, but with your hands and your feet, with your opportunities that you have. Uh, what do you do with your, your voice when you are with your neighbors or you're in the voting booth or you're on social media? What do you do with that opportunity? Are we taking a stand for moral issues? That's great, but it doesn't stop there. We're to be working towards justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Because they're not going to know us by our stand. They're going to know us by our love. I think uh, the, the world knows the church a lot by its stand. Um, but I don't know that it's recruiting anybody to our cause. I think they, <laughs> their hearts might be one if they saw more that we love. And, and, amen. If not, then we need to hear, if that's not us, then we need to hear the strong, loving, sometimes fierce and uncomfortable words of Jesus speaking, woe to us who strain out the, the fly in our soup, but, but we're swallowing camels. If, we, if, if it's all about just telegraphing our convictions, if that's getting the way of showing compassion, uh, then we got something backwards. And we just need to repent. That's all we need to do. God's not here to condemn us. He's just calling us to repent, to remember who we are. He's calling us back to our identity um, as people. I'll finish with this. The prophet Micah, 
once asked, and what does the Lord require of us? Why are we here? What are we supposed to do? He said, and this was hundreds of years before Jesus came and said it, he said to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So may God use us uh, to make his will and his way, what we call, what Jesus called the kingdom, to make his will and his way a reality in the lives of other people around us. Amen? Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you, Father, for these words of Jesus. Lord, we wrestle with these, we wrestle with these things that he says. For some of us, these words make us uncomfortable, Lord. Uh, they confront us. They, they might even anger us. They expose how weirdly mixed up our identity gets with our spirituality and our cultural labels and our longing for freedom and for fairness. We ask you, Lord, to show us uh, where we are in this story, first of all. Shine your light in our hearts, Lord God, and reveal any sin, any deceit, deceit that's in us, any lying, cheating, stealing, immorality inside each of us, Lord God, that isn't right. Whatever's not good spiritual fruit, we invite your spirit to show us Lord, what needs to be confessed. Show us what we need to repent of, what grieves you. It ought to grieve us, Lord God. So God, we ask you to speak to us. Speak to us now of how we spend our time, how we spend our money, what we fill our eyes with and our ears with. And as we do that, Lord God, we thank you that it is not in a spirit of condemnation, Lord God, but we thank you for your conviction. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for forgiveness. You're so faithful, Lord God. We thank you for the new life that we have in Christ Jesus. And then, God, we move to, to what Jesus calls the more important matters, those matters of justice and mercy and faithfulness. God, we think of the innocent. We think of those who are deprived of their rights among us, the orphan, those who aren't able to make a living, Lord God. Give us a heart for those people, those who are oppressed in our society, even as so many of us enjoy such blessing, Father. Make us outraged at the things that outrage you, Lord God, even if it means our own prejudice and bias, Lord God. Reveal that in us. Give us a heart for the things that you have a heart for, Lord. We thank you, God, for these truths. We thank you for these words of Jesus. We thank you, Lord God for the grace that underlies it all. Thank you, Father. And in the strong, healing, redemptive name of Jesus, we pray. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, this week, I want to remind you guys, this week is our last week of our home life groups that are going to be getting together before we, we break for the Advent season. Uh, so, uh, Make sure you try to make it to Home Life this week. We have three, three different groups on Thursday and Friday that meet. And then we'll be taking a break till, uh, till January. And so make sure you make it for that. Um, if our prayer partners would come on down now. Uh, 
we would love to pray with you. If there's anything going on in your life that you want somebody to just stand in faith with you and pray, uh, we would love to do that for you today. Or if you would like to say yes to Jesus for the first time and just make him your, your Lord and surrender to him and just let Jesus help you make that next right step in your life, uh, we would love you to come down and let these guys pray with you. Uh, if there's anything at all we can pray with you about too, there's a lot of different ways you can send us your prayer request too. We have a whole prayer chain of folks who would love to stand with you and pray. You can send that to us. Um, if you are uh, one of our guests today, if you're new with us this morning, make sure you go by our welcome center in the North Foyer before you leave and let us know that you're here. We'd just love to, to bless you. Yes, ma'am. All right, Gerald Davis, this Wednesday night? All right, Gerald Davis, Brother Gerald Davis is going to be here this Wednesday night. Uh, we have our Bible study on Wednesday nights in the Fellowship Hall, and so that's going to be good. Don't want to miss Brother Gerald. He's a great, great friend of our uh, of this ministry. Um, amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Let me offer you a benediction out of Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all peace and joy in believing that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen. Grace and peace be with you. Bye-bye.